Today's episode is brought to you by 199.com, and that's 19nine.com. And this is the coolest vintage college basketball apparel company that there is. If you are a fan of the brand like we are, there's some really exciting news right now. They are releasing a new pair of shorts every day for the first three weeks of June. So I think everybody's really excited to see what they come out with next. Today, they just released the 1998-1999 Old School Temple Owls Elite Eight Run Shorts. If you remember the great point guard, Pepe Sanchez, he was wearing those. They're really neat. So we'll see what they bring tomorrow. But for the first three weeks of June, there's going to be brand new shorts for you to pick from. So when you're in the store and you pick what you want, T-shirt, shorts, make sure you sign out with the promo code CT. And that will give you free shipping on your order. Again, that's CT for Coaching Tree. You put that in the promo and you're going to get free shipping. Make sure you check out their Instagram, their Twitter for all the great, exciting news they have coming out. Welcome in to the Coaching Tree podcast. This is episode number eight. And if you are a fan of Big Ten basketball, you will be psyched for this episode. We have on the top assistant coach at The Ohio State University, Coach Ryan Peden. He started his career at Miami of Ohio as a grad assistant, then went to Kent State as the director of basketball ops. Back to Miami of Ohio as an assistant coach, spent some time at Toledo as an assistant, at Illinois, uh, at Butler, and now he's at Ohio State since 2017 with coach Chris Holtman. We talked to him about recruiting, about his basketball philosophies, both offensively and defensively. We even get into where's the hardest place to play in the Big Ten. This was a fantastic interview. Obviously, Coach Peden has a a wealth of experience and knowledge, and we want to thank him for coming on. Enjoy the episode. Perfect, man. Well, Coach, we got a thanks for joining us. Um, on the podcast, we got Coach Connor Doherty. He's the head coach at Oratory Prep here uh, out in New Jersey. And then Coach Chris McHugh, Division Three head coach at Washington and Lee University. And uh, we're here welcoming Coach Ryan Peden, the top assistant at Ohio State, the Ohio State University uh, men's basketball team. So thanks for joining us, Coach. Hey, great, guys. Th- thanks for having so, me. So uh, I think we'll kick it off with this. I think it's on everybody's mind. And, um, you know, during quarantine, we're in a global pandemic. How are things going for, for you and the basketball team? You know, how are you guys staying on top of players? How are you recruiting? Yeah, it, good, good question. It's, it's, um, it's been a, like all of us, it's been a different time uh, for sure. You know, you've had, we've had to adjust, um, our lives, we've had to adjust our schedules and um, our routine. So for, you guys know this as, as coaches, um, routine is very much a part of what, what we are accustomed to, whether it's um, around routine with our games, uh, routine with our off seasons, um, and a routine of, of what we're doing at particular times of uh, the re- recruiting year. Um, so, um, it's taken us out of our routine, but I, I think there's, there's blessings within that. Um, and, and I've, you know, hopefully grown a little bit as a person and as a parent and as a, as a husband during this time. So, um, 
it's it's I think it's very unique. But um, you know, like all of us, just trying to make the most of the situation that we're yeah, in. That's fantastic. It, I was we were on the phone the other night, me and coach, and we were talking. You now, I've never been in better shape in my life, and uh, <laughs> you know, it's funny. <laughs> That's yeah, a good thing, I needed, Joe. I needed this uh, pandemic to whip my whip yeah. myself in shape. What are you? Are you running, Joe? What are you doing? Oh, Peloton, man. Oh, Peloton. Peloton. I don't have the Peloton bike, but I got the Peloton app. It's been phenomenal. Yeah. Okay. Um, how's recruiting going? Because I know this is you're missing out on a lot of live games and, and identifying players. How do you? How are you going about? You know, identifying guys. Sure. So, um, you know, a, a big. A big part of what we do is over the phone anyways, um, or through the computer. So, um, the, the biggest thing that's probably changed is the fact that we haven't been, uh, able to go out and see guys, um, re- you know, physically see them play basketball. And, and this time of year, at least through April was, um, reserved for AAU. So that was big to be able to lay your eyes on certain guys, um, see how good they really were, um, distinguish your, you know, your priority list, um, and, and so forth. So you can't, we can't do that now. And so we've had to adjust. And I think we're watching a lot more film. Um, we're able to see them play a lot more with their high school team, uh, from this past season. Um, and, um, you know, the relationship building that we'd normally be doing over the phone, uh, is probably about the same. The only the uh, only addition to that would be the advent of Zoom, which for all of us, man, has has um, I think changed the way that we communicate in a lot of ways. So um, it's we, we we've sort of navigated it a little bit, but it it's been uh, it hadn't been too bad. It hadn't been too bad. So what are you looking for on film as opposed to you know seeing some. Uh seeing a guy in person, you get a lot more, I guess, intangibles, you know, how he interacts with his teammates and his coach. Uh, is there anything tangible or intangible that you're looking for on film from somebody uh, from high school coaches to pass on to, to our players? Yeah. Um, you know, we're looking for the same things that we would be in person. I think there is a real element of uh, recruiting where um, that's important, at least, at least, you know, in my eyes, it is um, where you're able to feel a guy. I talk about that a lot. Like, can you feel him uh, when you're on the basketball court? Can you feel his, his energy? Can you feel his basketball energy? Can you feel him as a defender? Can you feel him as an offensive player? Um, does he have presence on the court? How does he interact with his teammates and coaches? Some of that you can see on film. Uh, some of that you, you can't capture um as much but i always enjoy um being there and where i can i can feel those types of characteristics um his competitiveness you can see it on film but uh, do you feel it as much on film as you would maybe in person uh, no in my opinion no so yeah i think there's 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 uh, some disadvantages and i i think it'll be interesting to kind of see how that affects recruitment i think that it'll affect it in some regard. I think that some lower level schools will probably get some steals uh, because of this. And I think there will be some higher level schools that, um, you know, may, may recruit guys that are maybe not as good, but maybe we're a lot better uh, in their high school setting. So um, 
Yeah, it's a, it's 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 an interesting um, proposition. It's an interesting time, but I think you know, really trying to be true to who you are and what you're looking for as a program, uh, that becomes even more important right now. Coach, I was going to change gears for a minute. This is Chris McHugh here. Um, you played at the College of Worcester, a very renowned yes. Division three program. I played and coached D three. I wanted to talk about, uh, have you talk a little bit about your experience as a player at Worcester and then a second part of you played for Steve Moore, who had over 800 wins on the D3 level. You know, what has been his influence on your career and what did you learn from him? Yeah, it's a great question. And um, so we all have, um, you know, sort of a, a backbone basketball wise that we that we lean on. Right. I mean. Uh, a foundation that has been set uh, for each of us. And those we've all been influenced by uh, different coaches, teammates, you know, maybe system, style of play, programs, and so forth. Um, for me, um, uh, I've been fortunate because, um, you know, first and foremost, I played and started my basketball journey, so to speak, at a uh, very successful Division three program and played for a guy that was uh, a legend. He's a, he'd be a Hall of Famer. He was he's second all-time um, in the history of uh, NCAA Division Three in terms of wins, over wow. 800 wins. So I was able to learn a lot from him um, in terms of approach, mentality, um, the level of competitiveness that's required to be successful, and just his everyday um, – approach that he brought uh, from a competitive standpoint um, is something that that's formed a, you know, an imprint on, on me and who I am and what my belief system is. Um, I've, I've been fortunate to have worked for some, some great coaches as well. I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit, but um, you know, I went to Worcester over other schools because of two things. And, and number one was it was a winning basketball program. It had always been successful. They were perennially uh, the top or top two in their conference every single year. And um, that appealed to me. And then uh, my teammates. So the people that were there, um, I knew I liked the coach. I knew I liked the assistant coach, but the teammates, when I went on a recruiting visit, um, sold me and, uh, when I got back from that visit, I just I told my parents I, I wanted to cancel my other visits, and uh, that was where I wanted to go. So uh, it formed quite an impression on me, and I'm uh, thankful that I, I had an opportunity to go there and play there. Coach, this is Connor Doherty here. Uh, I have a, a quick question. Did you always know that you wanted to be either a high school or college basketball coach, or were you strictly – you always wanted to be a college coach, and did playing – at Worcester affect that at all? Or did you know even before you got there, this is what I want to do for a living? Yeah, good question. Um, so, so you know, we, we all think through a pretty narrow lens um, when we're 17, 18 yeah. years old. I think you're thinking in terms of, uh, you know, where you want to go to school, um, where you want to play basketball, and then you're not really thinking of a whole lot after that. Um, so I wasn't thinking big picture, but at, at – at that point, uh, you know, when I did it, when I did arrive at Worcester, um, you know, I think it hits you a little bit. You, you, you're talking about what major do you want um, to go into? What classes do you want to take? Um, what do you want the rest of your life to look like? And Worcester challenges you in a lot of different ways. And um, I started weighing, 
my options and, and things that I thought maybe I would be interested in. And I kept coming back to just a real lack of interest in anything <laughs> other than basketball, to be honest. That's probably uh, honest. My parents would tell you, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's how I, I just, I just didn't, I didn't have a whole lot of interest outside of basketball. I didn't want to teach and be in the classroom for seven or eight hours a day. Um, I, I wasn't real excited about pursuing any sort of career where I was super passionate about at that point in my life. So um, I, I, communications, I, my, my undergrad in communication, and um, that was probably the closest thing um, for me to like, okay, what else would you be interested in? And connecting and communicating with people obviously is a big part of what all of us do. And um, in college coaching, it's it's a necessity. So um, I think that it, it sort of helped me uh, in that regard. Um, but uh, I, I knew fairly early on in my college existence that I wanted to go into coaching and be a part of, um, you know, basketball in some regard. So uh, real quick, you you mentioned like a coaching backbone uh, and how all of us kind of have a coaching background and um, have been influenced by some of the people we've worked with. with. We all played high school together. We all played high school ball together. Um, and we went off, obviously, our separate ways in college. And I want to just say, you, I hope this doesn't come across weird to the listeners, but you own part of my backbone. You know what I'm saying? So you are – it's awesome. uh, one thing that you taught me and one thing just I observed from, from working with you is that, you know, you made Miami. You made where you were the big time. So it felt like when we were at Miami, a small little Mac school, uh, mid-major, it felt like we were at, you know, UNC. felt like we were at Duke. Everything was first class. So for the listeners, I just want to go through your coaching career real quick. I'm not sure you know this. I'm sure you do, actually. You've been coaching 17 seasons as an assistant. You've only endured two losing seasons, which is incredible. Um, so started off at Kent State. And then moved over to Miami, um, where our where we kind of overlapped for four years. And Miami basketball hasn't had a winning season since you left, uh, which is just you know absolutely terrible. But uh, then you kind of shocked. Uh, this question is for the loyal Miami Redhawk listeners out there. Uh, you went to Toledo, and Toledo was a real struggling program. They had eleven wins in two years. It was a huge rebuilding job. Can you just give a little insight, you know, what drew you to Toledo um, at that point? Why did you feel like it was the right move to make? Yeah, yeah, it's a good, good question. Um, uh, so loyalty is, I think, at the at the core of, of who I am and what I believe in. Um, and it, that was the one of the most difficult decisions in um, in my professional life. And um so the guy that, that has influenced me, I think, um, as much as anyone, probably the most um, of anybody I've worked for is Charlie Coles. And um, we were very close, um, you know, very close. And uh, he, he taught me so much about the profession and coaching in general, how to treat people, um, you know, on and on and on. I could, I could go on for another hour about lessons I've learned from him. But um, so he gave me my opportunity in coaching. I started at Miami. Actually, I was a graduate assistant there for two years, then went to, you know, my graduate assistantship expired and 
I went to uh, Kent State for three, came back to Miami. But when I came back to Miami, he's the guy that gave me the opportunity to become a full-time assistant coach. Okay. So um, that you're, you're always indebted to that guy that gave you your first opportunity because he, someone has to take a chance on you. And for me, that was Charlie Coles. And, uh, you know, he gave so much to my life because of that. So I was with him for a total of seven years, but uh, five there on the second stint. And um, it was really a difficult uh, decision. Um, uh, the, the overriding thing I would tell you is that um, uh, you could tell it was getting to the yeah. end of Charlie's career. Okay. And there was some uncertainty at that time of, you know, what's going to happen after Charlie retires, whenever that is. Um, and um, so, you know, the handwriting, I think, was on the wall. And so I think he might have coached a year or two after that, maybe mm-hmm. two after that. And, um, you know, um, and, and finally retired. But I felt like I needed to um, take that opportunity at Toledo um for the longevity of my career, to be honest with you. Um, and I think sometimes you're, you're faced with different situations in, in life that you may not want to do, but you feel like yeah. you need to do. And uh, those, were, those were some of my emotions at the time. Um, and I, I will tell you that is the single hardest conversation I've ever had to have uh, from a professional standpoint in my life is, is talking to him. Uh, about that. And it was not easy because, uh, you know, to be honest, the biggest thing is it was in conference. Mm -hmm. So uh, the optics of that, I I didn't, I didn't love, but I felt like it was in my, the best interest of my, of my professional career. So, um, you know, uh, you look back on it and, you know, you you learn from all situations, but it was a standby. I think at that that point, it was probably. Yeah. I think uh, at that point it was the right thing to do. And, And looking back, you obviously made a, obviously made a pretty good move there because from there you went to Illinois, spent a couple seasons there with John Gross, and then uh, and then came Butler where you, you know, kind of united with Chris Holtman, and I thought the uh, I thought the story of how you guys met and um, I was reading an article where, you know, Chris Holtman was looking for an assistant and he was reaching out to all these people and I guess your name kept coming up and you guys interviewed in the Final Four. And it seems like you just rose through that staff very quickly to the point where you were named as a finalist for the job. Or I don't know if it was named or you were spoken of as a finalist for that Butler job when Coach Holtman took the Ohio State job. Um, but then going on to Ohio State, just for the listeners, I, I don't really think people realize how depleted that program was when you arrived at Ohio State. You know, you were coming off a 10th place finish in the Big Ten. It was the first time in 11 years not playing in a postseason tournament. You know, what core values, what ideals do you attribute that turnaround to? Yeah, that's a good, it's a good question. Um, so Coach Holtman got the job in uh, June, middle of June at Ohio State. And, um, you know, they had a couple kids. We had a couple kids transfer shortly thereafter, uh, which is normal in this day and age, especially – um, a couple kids transferred. We um, dismissed the kid from the team uh, that, that we just didn't feel was 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 buying into what, what coach would have uh, how we would have wanted to 
run the program. And uh, I remember it being the 4th of July. I think we had seven scholarship players wow. on our team. And, uh, you know, so the expectations, I think, were from at that moment were not super high. Um, and, and they were coming off of a, a frustrating year the year before. So, um, yeah, so I, I think, you know, we were able to pick up a couple pieces that summer um, and put a roster together. And I remember going into the fall, you know, and you're you're just really trying to focus on um, maximizing each and every day. And, and, and truthfully, um, it's no different. I look back and I say, well, you know, what was different about how we did things that year? And it's no it's no different. You know, um, I think we were able to create a, a, a real buy in. Um, because I, I think there was a feeling that if we didn't have everybody bought in, there was a little bit of fear in the back of our mind, like this might yeah. not look good. <laughs> you know, this, this has the potential of, of, this has the potential of not looking good if, if, if we, um, are not all pulling the same rope, so to speak. So, um, I think that was as much as anything. Uh, and that's a, that's a decision, a conscious decision that, that the players in the locker room yeah. make. Right. I mean, that's, uh, you, you can say whatever, uh, about coach Holman. He's a heck of a coach and, um, he, he does a great job connecting with players and, and all that. But, um, you know, the conscious decision that the players made to, um, give him that blind loyalty to, 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 to begin his, his tenure at Ohio state was crucial. Um, we, we talk about doing, uh, today well, right. We take one every day, one day at a time, and we're trying to maximize each and every, every day. And we talk about doing today well. And I, I think that's, uh, was able to, we're sort of chop it up and, and, and allow our players to just focus on playing the right way, uh, establishing the culture that we wanted to establish, um, uh, adjusting the expectations for what was, uh, going to be acceptable and what was not. And Thad Mata is a, is a, you know, he's a hall of fame coach. He's an, yeah. he's an unbelievable coach, but there's de- sure there's differences, you know, there's lines you have to draw and there's certain things that may have been more important to him and less important to coach Holman and, and vice versa. So you have to be able to create this culture, uh, demand it and uh, get your players to ultimately believe in it. So um, yeah. So I think those were some of the, some of the things that helped us get get it off the ground. I don't think any of us thought that uh, year one would have. If you'd asked me on July fourth if I thought we were, would have been one game out of winning a Big Ten championship and been fifteen and three and a five seed in the NCAA tournament, I probably would have, you know, had you had you drug tested <laughs> on the spot, yeah. you know. So, um, but that's that's um, that's a credit to the players in, in the uh, in the locker room. So, Coach, uh, I'd like to, to chat a little bit about this past season that you guys had. So, you have some huge uh, out-of-conference wins to start the season. You beat Villanova, UNC, Kentucky, which is fantastic. So, you guys go on a nice winning streak. But what I'm interested in, and we all go through it, is when you went on a little bit of a, a losing streak, you, won, you lost six out of your you know next seven, I think, starting with the West Virginia game. And we've all been there. How do you – how do you keep morale high? How do you boost confidence? And, and what, is, what are you doing? Are you, are you like ramping up intensity in practice? Are you meeting with players more? What does that look like in the Ohio State locker room when you guys? Yeah. Go ahead. 
No, that's good. I, I'm sorry to interrupt you there. Go. Uh, yeah, you, you, you're you're hitting on some good points there, um, and you're you're right. I mean that that that's unfortunately we've endured like two years in a row. We've had a, a a stretch in January where we've lost five of six, and it's not fun to no. go through, right? I mean that's that's a we all as coaches go through. You're going to go through ups and downs. I think what defines you in the end, and this is what you got to keep your players you know, focus on is, is it's not, it's not the, 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 what's in the moment, the win and the loss. It's going to be what is going to ultimately define your team and your year. Um, and for seniors, their legacy is, is how they've responded in those moments. Right. And there's been books written on this and uh, people say, what is the key to um, responding the right way? And, you know, it, it's a resilience and it's a, it's a grit that, um, I think is required, especially at this level of college basketball, because, you know, we had the toughest conference in, in college basketball yeah, this year. No doubt. And, um, you know, Michigan state preseason number one in the country, you know, you realize Michigan state was out of the top 25 for a couple yeah. weeks in January yeah. too. Yeah. You know, not, not many teams, you know, there are not many people think about that, that kind of stuff. Um, but they were, and, so um, it, it's it, you're going to endure your ups and downs. Every team in the conference had a stretch where they lost three in a row or three or four or four or five. And so you, you have to have this built-in um, resilience that gets you through those times. From a coaching standpoint, I would tell you that, um, and this is a great aspect of, 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 that my boss has of, of, of responding to these types of situations and responding to winning streaks is he is ultra consistent. Okay. He really doesn't change. If you would come in a locker room after a, a game uh, in January, uh, after we've lost, you know, four in a row and um, listen to a film session and, you know, take that same film session a month earlier after we had just beaten Villanova, Cincinnati, Carolina, Kentucky, um, I think you would have heard a lot of the yeah. same messages. You know, I don't think that, 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 you know, there's no, there's no panic button. Um, but, you know, you have to be able to, as a coach, um, diagnose what the problems are in the moment and get them fixed. Right. Okay. And sometimes those are uh, physical things on the floor. Sometimes those are emotional things or uh, mental things off of the floor. And um, what we all realize as coaches is that they're all very connected and um, that there's a lot of factors, especially yeah. in this day and age, a lot of factors that go into those, those types of things. So, you know, a la social media and um, outside influences that may uh, be affecting their mindset. So you got to be aware of that stuff as a, as a coach and be able to not just navigate those times, but be able to dig yourself and your team out of those, um, you know, through, through coaching and, and by being tough. And yeah, there's so many more factors that go into it now than, you know, it did just a mere decade ago. It's, it's wild. Uh, mm -hmm. But on this season, you guys caught fire, you know, February, early March, just throwing it out there. You guys were nine and three in your last 12 games, all three losses coming on the road. And most of these teams that you played, it was the second time around. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, the scouting? What goes into 
you know, scouting a team the second time around on the schedule. Yeah, so that's it's good. It's one of my favorite uh, parts of, of coaching when you get into league play because it, it truly is a chess match. And, you know, being a part of the Big Ten Conference, I think it's as well coached of a conference uh, year in and year out. I think it's the most well-coached conference in the country. There are no easy outs, okay? Minnesota was a 12 seed in the tournament, in our conference tournament this year. Um, we were as high as number two in the country. Minnesota beat us wow. twice. So, like, Minnesota had the talent to be a tournament team, a very, very talented team. But whatever reason, they lost a handful of close games, and they were on the other, would have been on the other side of the bubble in all likelihood. So, um, so uh, it's a chess match. You know, when you get into league play, it's like that in any league. Um, you're looking at game one and saying, okay, what are some of the things that uh, we did well and what are some of the things we didn't do well? And then how can we change that uh, going into game two? Okay, I will tell you, sometimes it is easier uh, to prepare for game two when you got your clock cleaned in game one. Yeah. And because we went on that losing streak in January, we could come to our players with some pretty, uh, you know, uh, clear and vivid examples of what we weren't doing well in January that we had to change for the rematch. So uh, it, it sometimes it's, it's a little easier to get into your players' minds um, that way. But um, I, I don't like, the, you know, doing it under those circumstances where you're where you're having to take L's to get W's in February. So it's it's a uh, it's a balance because you, you you're not anticipate you can't over anticipate what the opponent's going to do, but you've got a you got a scheme based on um, the tendencies that you're seeing, and uh, yeah, so it's 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 fun. I I, I really do enjoy that part of uh, you know league play a lot. So, Coach, there's there's so many great coaches in the Big Ten and really hard places to play. There's certainly not a, a place you would want to go play, and I'm sure it's fun to compete in uh, all these incredibly loud gyms. Is there one one school or, or one coach that you feel like just consistently is the hardest to prepare for, or does that change? Every yeah, it, year? It, I think it can change. Um, I think if you look in the Big Ten at some of the um, – uh, you know, a lot, a lot of the coaches in the Big Ten have been there for a while, to be honest with you. Yeah. You know, you think uh, you know, Penn State has been there for a while. Michigan State been there for a while. Um, uh, Wisconsin has been there for a while. Minnesota has been there for a while. Um, so there hasn't been a whole lot of change. So, um, you know, it'll depend on year by year. Uh, but I think, you know, Purdue has been has been one of the teams that I think has been most difficult for us to prepare for just with uh, some of the actions that they run. They're hard to guard. They had a national player of the year last year, Carson Edwards, not this past season, but two, two years ago. And um, he was phenomenal. He was difficult to guard. And, um, you know, they run a motion based system where they're running guys off a lot of screens. And you got to be really, really disciplined. So, um, you know, I think they're one of the ones I would say is, is you know, most difficult to prepare for. And Mackey's got to be – we had a guest on a couple of weeks ago who played at West Virginia, and he said Mackey was by far the hardest place he'd ever, he'd ever yeah. played. Yeah. Just with the size and the uh, the volume. The volume. There he said yeah. Was, yeah. I, yeah. I, I agree with that. That's 
we won in there uh, two years ago, and it was the – in 20 years of coaching, that was the loudest game I've ever been a part of. Um, yeah, yeah. It, and it's, a, it's an electric environment. It's fun to, it's fun to be in, in those types of uh, arenas. And I'll say this, too. Like, you know, pe- people on the outside may not realize this. In the Big Ten, for 44 consecutive years, has led the nation in basketball attendance in college basketball. Wow. 44 straight years. So, you know, there's no, there's no off nights. Yeah. You know, you're going to, to Nebraska, Omaha, Nebraska, and, or uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, I'm sorry, and there's 15,000 people waiting on you there. It's crazy. Okay. Purdue is crazy. Um, Michigan, Michigan state, like they're sold out, Indiana sold out. So, uh, they're, they're great environments. And, um, it's been, uh, you know, it's been, that's one of the privileges of playing and coaching in this conference is you get to face that every night. And I think it builds, um, you know, it builds a toughness within you where you're either sinking or you're swimming and there's really no in between. Mm -hmm. I kind of I kind of want to go back to what you said before. Um, you know, it's a lot easier to prepare and, and diagnose the problem when you just got your clock cleaned. And you, you actually mentioned Nebraska. So you guys played Nebraska early in the season, um, yep. beat them pretty good, you know, twelve point win. How do you get your guys up and motivated? This is one of my biggest difficulties as a coach. You know, just get them in that right mindset the second time around. Well, I think you, it's, it's, it's not as much the mindset of that game. It's, it's generating and creating that philosophy and, and your player's approach, okay? If they're practicing or preparing or they're going to perform to the level of their competition, then that tells me that program doesn't have very high standards, okay? Because the great are, are, are elite and special because they approach each and every game, each and every practice, um, and it, it, as an opportunity for them to either win or lose. And if you, if you prepare a certain way against lesser teams, you, you're preparing to lose. Maybe not in that particular game right there, but it's going to catch up to you because your habits aren't being formed and shaped the right way. So uh, it's, it, it's one of the things that we, we talk about, the standard of excellence that we have, and, and our bar is high. You know, and if you didn't want to, play in a program where their bar is high, then you should have gone somewhere else. And, and so that's a, that's a belief system, uh, Joe, that I think is important uh, to create as you go along um, and get your players to understand that you're, 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 you're playing for championships every night that you go out there. You know, there's a saying, they say champions are champions before they're champions. Okay. Like you prepare like a championship team um well before you actually win the championship. Yeah. It doesn't just happen, okay? Your habits are formed to become that caliber of team long before that. So oh. I don't know if that – hopefully that answers answers your question, but that's a – I think it's more of a, of a competitive mindset that, you know, you have to create. And we, we certainly don't prepare as coaches. We don't prepare uh, to our opponent. You know, we, we, we have to take it each and every game and each and every practice – you know, with, with great preparation and level of seriousness that's required. Coach, this is Chris. You touched on, you know, identifying players that 
want to live up to that standard of excellence and are not going to shy away from the challenge of what the Big Ten presents night to night. So, you know, for the listeners at home, could you give us a glimpse into what, you know, in pre-pandemic times, what what a July in recruiting looks like? I think I think the listeners would be fascinated into how much work goes into it. You're flying across the country, you're going to all these different tournaments, you're um, trying to see all these players over the summer. Can you talk about what what goes into the to, to the nitty gritty of the travel flights, tournaments, and recruiting? Yeah, sure. So um, month of July, they've changed it around in recent years a, a couple different times, but the way it's been set up in the last few years, you've had, you've got three weeks, so three chunks: Wednesday to Sunday, Wednesday to Sunday, Wednesday to Sunday, uh, where you're. Um, chasing kids around the country, all over the country. And um, so the preparation that goes into it starts with identifying who your, who your core group of guys are, who are we going to make a priority? Um, who uh, do we need to evaluate? And then who are some other names that we would like to see if we have the opportunity? Okay. And we're always going to follow. I think most programs would do this. You're going to, you're going to follow your priorities. And you need to let them know that they are priority. So um, you plan around their schedules. Um, Most kids nowadays are on one of three uh, shoe circuits, major shoe circuits. So it makes it easier on coaches. You're going to one of three cities. Um, But the the, the tricky part is is bouncing around and how much you're able to bounce around, um, how willing your boss is to bounce around. Um, so we have an advantage of having uh, access to private plane. So, uh, our boss can be at a tournament in Augusta, Georgia in the morning. Um, a couple years ago, he flew home to Columbus because we had an official visit on campus and spent the day with the recruit and then flew back to Augusta that night to watch night games. Um, okay. So that's one example, but, um, you know, because you have access to the, to a private plane now that can influence uh, your, your schedule uh, in a, in, to a large regard in terms of where your head coach is going to be and who he's going to be in front of. You always want your head coach to be in front of priorities um, and people that you deem most important. So, yeah, there's a lot of uh, conversation and talk that goes into it. Um, deliberating with your assistants and then who's going to go where, figuring out where your head coach is going to be, where he needs to be most, and then sort of how you're going to uh, bounce around beyond that. So it, 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 there's a lot that goes into it. I think some of the toughest parts of July are keeping up with your own team who is back on campus that's in summer school. So we'll come back late on a Sunday night. We'll get back maybe 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, and then um, – you know, the next morning you have workouts with your players, skill sessions with your players at whatever, seven, seven thirty, eight o'clock in the morning before they get off to their summer school classes. So um, you only have that two and a half day window with your players. You try to be around them as much as possible. And then, oh, by the way, most of us have families, yeah. too. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's the one part I, I didn't mention in all this. So. It's, it's tough on families and, uh, you know, um, you, you're coming home probably a little bit later on those yeah. nights and seeing your family for a couple hours and then got to go right back out and do it again uh, the following Wednesday. So the month of, of July is a, it's a buzzsaw, but uh, 
you know, it's a challenge, but it's, it's, it's part of, you know, it's part of what we do. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so coach, you, you have the reputation for being one of the top recruiters in the nation. I want to try to have some fun here. So I'm a recruit. My, my top three are Ohio state, Michigan, and Purdue. I'm in a room with you. Can you sell me on Ohio state? Well, sure, Joe. I, I would sell you first and foremost. I'd probably start talking about the, the girls on campus with you. That'd be the first hitting point because I know how you were in college. You know, you were a loose cannon. Now you're a domesticated married man, and, and I'm sure you've changed Smart. quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I'm so. Uh, but yeah. So so what? You know, I think every time. Uh, I don't know. I. I, I it probably evolved in this way, but I don't look at it as selling as much anymore. And I think if you do look at it that way, if you try to sell, that's probably how you'll come across as a, is as a salesman. And I want to come across as a, as a connector. If I'm going to coach this guy and our staff is going to coach this guy. Then we want to, we want to be able to connect with them on a, on a high level. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, if they come to play for us, I would want them to know that I'm going to recruit you um, the same way we would coach you when you get here. Okay. So if I'm texting you and calling you 8,000 times a week, that that's, that's going to get pretty annoying. Okay. It, just being honest. It's maybe you say, well, you know, you know, the recruit would know that you really want him. Okay. True. But he would also be really annoyed in the process. So I don't want to be that kind of guy. I want to be a guy that connects with these guys and um, lets them know how thing how life would be here at Ohio State. Okay, and we're we're going to take care of our guys, and the family environment is very important to us. Um, I would talk to them first and foremost about the power of Ohio State, and that starts with the academics. You're talking about the 16th ranked public university in the country. This is a world class institution with the number one alumni, living alumni base in the country, over 500,000 living alumni. Okay, wow. that's a whole different conversation I could have with a recruit about um, what the alumni network and Buckeye Nation can do for you after you graduate from Ohio State. And that's, a, that's, that's the most powerful thing, I think, of, of all. Okay, I talked to them about our basketball program, um, 10 Final Fours, 24 Big Ten Championships, Five national players of the year, 55 All-Americans, 53 NBA draft picks. Okay. Talk to them about the city of Columbus and all that that can do for you. It's a separator for us in the Big Ten. Uh, Northwestern is in a big city, Chicago. Uh, Minnesota is in a big city, Minneapolis. And Columbus is in a big city. Uh, Ohio State's in the big city of Columbus. So Ohio State being in Columbus is probably as powerful of a sell outside of what I've already mentioned uh, as anything that we can talk to a recruit about because it can open up doors for recruits. Um, and Joe, for you specifically, it can open up doors for you well beyond your basketball years. Okay. Um, and, and it's, it is a true city and it's a, it's not a pro sports city. It's a college sports city. And, you know, guys, guys love uh, to know that, you know, people are going to follow Ohio State at the highest level. 
and and they're going to get a chance to play in some of the in front of some of the best fans in the country. So uh, beyond that, we've got unbelievable facilities. Uh, our arena is only 20, 20 years old. Um, we just put a forty two million dollar renovation into it le- uh, two years ago, and our players have access to our practice gym, locker rooms, weight rooms, all of that stuff through thumbprint access 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, and then nutrition is a big is a big seller uh, these days as well. Nutrition, we have the number one nutrition budget in all of college basketball. So wow. you're going to be eating great food. Uh, you're going to be eating the best food. Uh, you're going to be having um, uh, training tables after every single team workout. Um, and then that, that kind of stuff can only help you as an athlete. So, um, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's an unbelievable opportunity. And Joe, for you, I think you'd be quite foolish to be considering any other school. So you can call Rutgers right now and tell them to hell with Rutgers. You're coming to Ohio state. Joe's a big Rutgers guy. I don't know. He loves the red. I know he's been partial. He's been partial to the Scarlet Knights since he was he was young. So try to wean him off of that. Listen, you you sold me, man. It's just it's crazy how much goes into it and how much you know money is poured into it. It's big time college athletics, and it's uh, it's truly unbelievable the amount of things that you offer the student athletes there at Ohio State. It is. It is, man. It's it's a. It's a it's a world class institution, and and you've got all the amenities and facilities and resources that you could possibly um, think of. And so, for guys that are serious minded about what they're doing and want to be great, like Ohio State is a place that can put them in the best position possible to be their best. Yeah. And I think that's that's our overriding message, you know, as we're recruiting guys. Today's episode is brought to you by Newport Craft Brewing and Distilling. You can find out about Newport Craft at newportcraft.com. And they have some exciting news over at the brewery. They will be opening the tasting room and pavilion starting Monday, June 1st, that's today, at 50% capacity. And that's per state guidelines. Uh, You have to have reservations. They're required, so make sure you do that. And while they were closed, their tasting room and pavilion have been updated to allow more space for guests to to hang out freely and safely. Um, Their new hours are Thursday, 12 to 7 p.m., Friday through Sunday, 12 p.m. to 8 p.m. So get in there. If you're in the Newport area, make sure you go in and check out the tasting room, uh, see all their beer, their their distillery. Um, Make sure you check out the merchandise. They're doing some really great things over at Newport Craft and also donating a portion of every case of beer and spirits and matching the amount sold to Rhode Island Hospitality Education Foundation. So that, that's pretty cool. So we'd like to thank Newport Craft for their sponsorship. Coach, again, this is Chris. I think I've got a last one to follow up before we go to a lightning round of quick hitters. But this is sort of a speculative question for you. If you ever become a head coach and you've learned from so many great coaches over the course of your playing and coaching career, are you partial to an offensive or defensive philosophy that you'd think you'd implement as a head coach? And how much of that would depend on where you're at and the pl- type of players that you have? Um, what, yeah. What would be the yeah. So I there think when you're taking over a program, you got to think about, um, you know, what's, what is, 
in the best interest of your program. And, and, and maybe, you know, maybe that's looking at things long-term in, in in big picture. Okay. Are you willing to sacrifice wins and losses early on uh, for implementing your system and, uh, maybe early struggles will lead to bigger and better things down the road. So every coach is different in that regard. Um, I personally, um, I, I'm, you know, I think you have to have a, a big mindset in terms of big picture um, for what you want your program to become. But I'm not willing to um, give up victories or a, ch- a chance at victories um, in the short term for that, um, having what you want in the long term. I'm more about like, how can we figure this out and maximize this team's potential right now? Okay. Now, I am, I'm not, I'm going to be very um, committed to our core values in, in, in terms of how we want to build our program. Okay. So um, the defensive system, I, I'd be more stringent on in terms of this is how I would want it to look like. This is how I want it to be. And, um, I, you know, I, I, I realize that, um, you know, sometimes your personnel doesn't always fit that, but you, you can tweak certain things uh, to fit your personnel from a defensive standpoint. But I believe in man-to-man defense. Uh, I believe in toughness, um, defensive toughness and physicality, legal physicality. So um, those things aren't going to change. I don't think I could walk into a program and just play zone because I didn't think we could play man, uh, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see that happening. From an offensive standpoint, I know how I'd want to play, but I think you always have a responsibility as a head coach to play to your team's strengths. And offense, uh, offensively, the system that we run, and I think this has benefited us when we came to Ohio State especially, was um, it's a fairly simplified offensive system that allows our players to read and react the game. Um, I think ultimately you're trying to put your best players in their best positions to do what they do well. And, um, you know, that's, I, I don't, I think the simpler, the better offensively. Um, you know, we, we've been four of the last five years um, from Butler to Ohio state, we've been a top 25 offense in the nation um, statistically in terms of offensive efficiency. So that's a number that we, that we look at a lot and, um, you know, it's something that I, I deal with only offense. So that's something I know that, you know, we take a lot of pride in and um, try to play to our players' strengths as best we can. That's awesome, Coach. The uh, I just want to do a quick follow-up question. You, you said you just – you're only worried about the offense. How is the staff broken down? Is there like an offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator type deal? Yes, there. Yes, so we we've got uh, Terry Johnson who has uh, been. Uh, he was on a staff at Butler, came to Ohio State. He is a defensive coordinator. He knows the defensive system inside and out. He is he does an unbelievable job with our defense, um, and so he, you know, lives and breathes defense throughout the year. He's looking at new things in the off season. He's learning about new concepts or ideas, but. Ultimately, he's looking at the game through a defensive lens. For me, I'm on the, I'm the opposite of that. I'm offensive coordinator, and I'm looking at things only through an offensive lens. So I, I've enjoyed doing it that way. Um, 
I really have. And I'm thankful that, uh, you know, coach gives us as assistant coaches um, such a, you know, large responsibility there. And um, it's, it's, it's taught me a lot. I've learned a lot. I'm learning new concepts and watching new teams really every night uh, during the off season and during the quarantine, especially. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been great. And we have another coach, third assistant that does personnel for an opponent as well. So he's more tied in with the defense, um, but he does the personnel um, and uh, it, it's a system that's worked for us. So it's been great. That's awesome. Yeah. It's so, uh, as you know, we interviewed Mark Schmidt a couple of weeks ago. It's, it's just fascinating to me to hear the different ways that, you know, division one staffs are broken up and, uh, mm-hmm. and assembled. It's really cool, but uh, we're going to move on here. Um, quick hitters. Okay, okay. So one or two word answers don't need to elaborate a whole lot uh, unless you want to. So first one, you kind of, you kind of alluded this to earlier, but toughest place to play in the big 10. Mackey arena. Mackey arena. Most rabid fan base. Nebraska Cornhuskers. Wow. Whoa. Out of left field. Was not you guys were not expecting that. that at all, were you? No. Is that that's that's a real answer. answer? They they are they wow. are Cornhusker crazy out there. And whether you're uh, whether they're they've had some teams in recent years that were really good and they've also had like this year they they weren't. They're just rebuilding and um, you wouldn't have known it by their crowd. They they are Cornhusker crazy out there, and um, that's a great environment. I, I love going there and, and competing um, at their at their. They call it the Pinnacle. It's Pinnacle Bank Arena. I think they call it the Vault. Wow! Yeah, I was not expecting that. All the great yeah. Big Ten uh, fan bases, man. That's that's a awesome answer. Uh, favorite place to eat in Columbus? Rubino's Pizza, Bexley, Ohio. You know what? I saw that in an interview. That's right. <laughs> uh, best player you've coached? Um, I would say – tough one there. Um, probably Kata Bates-Diop. Yeah. yeah. Big Ten Player of the Year, our, our first season. Um he had just an unbelievable year. Went from averaging nine points a game to averaging 20 and 10. And um, I've never coached a guy average, that averaged 20 and 10 and did it with such ease. So I would say, yeah, best best season for sure. Yeah, best best player in that season for sure. Uh, he uh, He's on the Nuggets, isn't he? Yes, he's on the Nuggets. Yeah, he, he was with the T-Wolves for two years and then got traded – uh, to the Nuggets uh, midseason this year. Good. Awesome. Um, all right. Best player you've coached against or best player you've prepared for? Mm. I'm going to say Jalen Brunson. Oh, there yeah. you go. Ultimate so, winner, man. I, it, it, he wasn't the most talented. He didn't score the most points. Um, but I would tell you, like, a guy that has uh, – is toughest to, to beat. I would put him and Cassius Winston in, in that same type of category. Mm, um, and, yeah. and, and I'm saying player like, like toughest to, you, you know, toughest to, to, to defeat. 
you know, yeah, winning, yeah. winning mm-hmm. intangible winning qualities that are off the charts. You know, um, one of the best years I've ever seen uh, was Luca Garza this year for yeah. Iowa. You know, um, but you know they, they had a good year. I, I, it was, but but if Luca Garza does that again next year and they win a Big Ten championship, I might have a different answer for you because he's the stats he's putting up. Uh, he's an impressive guy, man. Impressive because he earns every point that he scores with yeah. with his with how hard he works and his, his toughness and just just uh, his overall effort. I love him. Yeah, tough, tough to he's tough to prepare for. Nice. Yeah. Current show that you're binge watching? Oh man, um, I don't watch T. You'd be surprised here. I don't watch shows at all. I have watched a few episodes of Ozarks. That's what um, I'm on right now. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and um, my wife and I are watching one now that she started a couple nights ago, and we've watched two of them, which is like a record for me. Um, of um, It's called uh, – oh, gosh. It's, I, I, I keep wanting to say stepmoms. It's not stepmoms, but it's about, <laughs> it's about, it's about moms that are it's – a, it's a comedy, and it is about moms who are um, – you know, just had babies, you know, the, ju- Oh, I think, yeah. Stay at maybe that's it. Stay at home moms yeah. or something. Yeah. Something, something like that. Yeah. 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 It's, and it's, okay. it's funny. Yeah. It's funny. So I, I, I'm, I'm not very cultured. Like if you ask me, <laughs> if you ask me movies, like I'm that guy, like my favorite movie of all time is Hoosiers. And my <laughs> second favorite is probably Hoosiers. So I, it's, I just am not, I'm not, uh, I don't have, a whole lot of uh, background in those areas. Oh, yeah. that's what you were saying before, Coach. No other interests. Nothing's captured your interests like uh, like hoops, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I think that I, I I probably need to. I probably need to have some other things that, that I focus <laughs> on. So, yeah, that's great. So, uh, pregame meal, um, chicken and uh, salad and pasta. Yeah, you talked about consistency. Is that it? Every. Uh... Every for, the, for the most part, yes, yes, yeah. That's 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 it. Because you don't, I don't want to experiment a whole lot on on game days. You know, like I, I'm not looking to <laughs> eat a ton. I want to eat to nourish myself, and uh, I don't want to have anything that could mess with the stomach. You know, like no you doubt. can't you can't have that on a game day. So uh, try to keep it fairly simple, and uh, maybe a little bit of pasta, and then mostly chicken and salad, and and. Uh, and then ready to roll, man. Man, that is, that is one of my biggest fears, just being on the sideline and all of a sudden <laughs> the stomach starts rumbling. And <laughs> luckily yeah. my head's just in the game, so I, yeah. I, just, I don't think about it. But, man, it's, it's a real fear. Hey, I was, I was oh. at the game in Ohio Stadium football. One of, it might have been Joe Paterno's last game ever coaching at Ohio State. I think it was. And uh, he had to run off the field. Oh, in the middle man. of the first quarter, I believe, I went to the locker room and uh, and he didn't return. I, I don't think he returned uh, the rest of the game. I know he didn't in the first half. He, he might have in the second half, but yeah, he was he was hurting. So Joe, Joe Puff, you know how it is when guys get a little older, though. You, you never know. Things slip. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you never know. That was a slow, oh, it was a slow ginger jog to the locker room. I can remember it. <laughs> oh, that's great. So we're going to end with two quick basketball questions. And okay. you mentioned earlier that you are, that you're watching a lot more high school basketball now that there's no AAU. 
this is a very heated topic amongst us coaches. We have no shot clock in New Jersey, and I know Ohio doesn't either, I believe. What are your takes on you know, watching games with no shot clock? Are guys more or less prepared for the college game? How do you feel? I think it's time to probably do the shot clock. You know, um, I think I, I understand the logic in, in high school because there's such a discrepancy uh, sometimes between um, the talent levels and there, there can be. So you get a school that has very poor talent and, um, you know, you put them in a game with a, a team could be in their own league, but they have to play twice. That's super talented. And if you add a shot clock, now you're saying there's going to be a lot more possessions in that game. And who's that going to favor? It's going to favor the team with the more talent every time. So yeah. um, the old school guys will, will fight for no shot clock because it gives them an opportunity to control the ball, control the game and slow things down. So I get, I get the rationale, um, but I, I think it's time. And um, I do think that the, the preparation for the next level and, and also the watchability, I think we got to probably consider that too. Is you know, if it is a game, it's about the kids and it's about competing. Then I think you have to keep that in mind. And I think it's it's probably it's probably I think it's headed in that direction. They just they're 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 still fighting it here. Yeah, we're hoping. Yeah, we, for yeah, sure. We hope so. All right, last last one. Yep, I believe. Yeah. So you guys are so let's say Ohio State is up three. There's five seconds left on the clock in the second half. Teams inbounding at midcourt. Okay, what are you gonna do foul? Yeah, it's a good it's a good out. one. I'm glad you said where the ball is midcourt. So with five seconds, um, it's just something that you have to practice with your team, and you have to they have to understand how to go about this because. Um, Guys are NBA guys would tell you they're not going to foul because some of these veterans are so good at anticipating fouls that they're going to try to get a shot up and fake like they were shooting, even though there's four or five seconds left. And you really run a risk of, of you know, them shooting three free throws. So um, at the half, if the ball's at half court, I think you, you have to do that. Um, on the catch or within the first one second. You have to. Um, and you can't give them any opportunity to do that flop where you're faking and drawing a foul. So I think there's a there's a way to do it too, um, you know, where you're reaching across their body and hopefully reaching in there with one hand. You, you don't ever want to run the risk of showing two hands and it being an intentional foul potentially, okay, trying to grab a guy with two hands. But when you come with two hands, it's a lot more – um, it's easier for the for the offensive player to read you coming for for the foul. So if I see you coming with two, and I've got any sort of wherewithal, I can fake like I'm going up for a shot, and now it becomes a lot easier um, to draw that foul. So um, if it's full court, I think it's it's easier to foul in those situations. Um, if it's in the half court, you got to do it on the catch or got to do it quick. Got to. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a foul guy because I just feel that um, there's – you're talking about one event, if you don't foul, one event that has to happen to tie the game, and that's the guy making some sort of shot, whether it's a miraculous shot or a contested three. It's only one event. Um, if you foul and he goes to the line, he's got to make the first. Mm-hmm. 
He's yeah. got to miss yep. the second correctly. Okay. He's got to miss it correctly. Like if he misses and it's not a, a, a good miss, it's an easy rebound for the defensive team. That's, that's, that's not helping you. So he's got to miss it correctly. Um, then you have to be able to either catch it or tip it out. That's three. And then four is, is get the ball on the tip out and make the three. So that's five. Yeah. yeah. So there's five things that have to go right. Um, sure, it's happened, uh, but I, I'm taking my chances with the five things having to go right as opposed to the one. So interesting you say that because, you know, we just had Coach Schmidt on. He is in the camp where he is not going to foul. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's, he's, not old school, foul. he's an old school guy, man. I love, yeah. Coach Schmidt is a hell. I want to tell you something, man. Like, I know him from afar. I don't uh, – we've talked before and sat together at games, but what he's done at St. Bonaventure with, with some of the stuff that they were they had gone through as a program in the years previous to him getting there, like that guy is a hell of a coach, man. Yeah. He is a hell of yep. a coach. And um, yes, sir. He's, he's had a couple guys go there and become pros. Um, he's sustained and built a, a program that is – been sustainable over time, which is hard to do. And, you know, only in New York is not, you guys have probably been there before. <laughs> it's not, you know, that's why I went not, to college. It's not some of, you know, these other cities that are uh, in their conference, even, you know, some of it ain't Columbus. It, there you Ohio, go. <laughs> it's not. And it, it, yeah. so that it makes his not job, even close. makes his job harder. So, um, he is yeah. a, I'm telling you, man, like that guy is a ball coach. And um, <laughs> yeah, I, I want to listen to that, that podcast because I know you guys, you know, met with him last week, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's pretty, uh, he, 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 he loves hoops too, obviously, if you met him a few times. It's, it's a good lesson. It's, because uh, like you said, it was, we were, we were struggling beyond comprehension for three or four or five years there. So, He's the uh, we called it the savior of Ole, and he came in and, and turned. Well, I hope people so. realize that too, man. You know, in yeah, this day and age, it's, sure. it's you know sometimes sometimes you know if you're not winning championships, then you're it's like you're right. You know, you're not succeeding, and that's that couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah. So we, he's he's very well respected in in our profession. Well, Coach, we appreciate it, man. Thank you for the time. This was a this was a great interview. A lot of great nuggets he gave us, and hope you had as much fun as we did. Oh man, you guys, this is this is cool that you guys started this, huh? This is you guys are having fun with it. And <laughs> a little uh, quarantine. That's right. We got to. That's yeah, it. Yeah, got to stay right. busy. You know, it's, it's well. Your wives, right. I'm sure, can keep you busy too. I mean, you guys, let's call let's call it for what it is here, fellas. You guys are. If you're trying to find some things, some time to avoid having to do some chores for your wife around the house, okay? <laughs> Luckily, my wife doesn't listen to this podcast. That makes two yeah, of us great. Yeah. 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 So, well, it was great being with you guys, and uh, yeah, thanks for the invite. No, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Coach. Thanks, Coach. Appreciate it.